This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 179, and I am interviewing Natasha Nagindi, otherwise known as the Thick Nutritionist, a non-diet nutritionist and body image activist. And we are talking about the BMI and diet culture's roots in anti-blackness and how to show yourself compassion when it comes to food. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 179. First, I want to give a shout out to... Her Happy Feet, who left this awesome review. So glad for this podcast. This podcast is very helpful in learning to accept your body and just enjoy life. Thank you, Summer. Thank you so much, Her Happy Feet. I really appreciate that. You can leave a review by going to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, select ratings and reviews and click to leave a review. You can also help out this show by subscribing to it. So search for it. This podcast is called Eat the Rules in case you didn't know that now. You can search for it on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and just hit the little subscribe button and that would help a lot. And if you haven't already done so, definitely grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. I am speaking a little quietly right now because my son is home with me today because that is COVID life with kids. (laughs) If, If another child or my child has any kind of symptom, then they have to stay home and it happens like on a whim and I have to like move my entire schedule around and cancel everything and reschedule people. And the number of podcasts I've had to reschedule because of things like this, it's pretty much all of them. Pretty much every podcast you listen to has been rescheduled like three times (laughs) for one reason or another. But anyways, that's just, if you're a parent, um, I feel for you. It's a tough time to uh, be navigating this stuff right now. And coming into the holidays, it's also um, just a tough time because, yeah, I mean, I don't even know when I'm going to see my family again. They live on the other side of the country. It's uh, it's such a weird time. And I know I'm probably not the only person feeling uh, kind of isolated and sad about that, but we're trying to make the best of it over here. And I'm probably doing a little too much retail therapy, uh, more for my child than myself, <laughs> because that's really fun for me now. But I'm putting it into local businesses. And so I don't feel any kind of guilt. I'm really trying to support all the little independent retailers in my area this year and just screw Amazon, like screw them. 
even though I probably just had a package arrive because there's certain things that Amazon is the only place I can get it. But for pretty much everything else, I'm trying really hard to buy from independent stores. And I don't know, hopefully you do too. And, uh, and we can, you know, stop giving our money to Bezos. That was a little bit of a ramble, but it was all to explain why I'm speaking a little bit more quietly than normal at this moment. But I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. Um, Natasha Nagindi is also known as the Thick Nutritionist on Instagram, and her posts are just really inspiring. For one, she's a Zumba Zumba instructor too, so uh, she's got some really great moves, uh, moves that I would never have (laughs) even if I tried. But it's just like really encouraging, really inspiring. And I love the stuff that she's putting out. And she's also a fellow Canadian. So uh, I love to kind of try to help other Canadians who do this work by bringing them onto this show as well. I think you're really going to like this show because we're talking about some of the um, really the roots of diet culture. Like I think when we think of diet culture, we think, oh, well, it's just it's really tied to beauty standards, but beauty standards are are rooted in in anti-blackness and racism. And what's really interesting about this conversation is we talk about how the BMI is is racist. And for one, I mean the BMI is pretty much is pretty much bullshit like just on its own. But when you hear Natasha talk about how it's it's really rooted in in racism, like it really opens your eyes even more to why there's like such systemic racism just baked into uh, the medical system. Anyways, and and then obviously like just kind of propping up diet culture. And so super, super interesting conversation that I'm excited for you to listen to. Natasha Nagindi is a Canadian non-diet nutritionist, body image activist, Zumba instructor, and entrepreneur. She spent years being immersed in diet culture, but she was never able to keep the weight off. After hitting rock bottom, she finally gained food freedom and learned to truly love herself. Her lived experiences inspired her to help others struggling with the same issues to have food freedom and accept their bodies too. Let's get started with this show. Hello, Tash. Welcome to the show. Hey, Summer. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And so nice to have a fellow Canadian on the show as well. That's very exciting. A lot of uh, there's I mean, there's there's quite a few people doing this work in Canada, but, you know, there's obviously a lot more in the US and and around the world. So it's always really good to connect with someone in Canada. For sure. I love it. We're building our own little community. It's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about your your story and, you know, how you got to where you are today and, and what really, you know, got you into the work that you're doing now? Okay, for sure. Well, it started way back in South Africa, actually. So I lived there for the first eight years of my life. And while I was there, I had a really good relationship with food and with exercise. And that's because my parents had always just been really positive and focused on all the things that I can do. So I was always swimming, biking, running, just being a child, not thinking about my body. And also most of the people around me looked like me. So I never really thought much of it. But then when I moved to Canada and I got a little older, I started noticing all the differences between me and my peers and everyone around me. And I realized, oh my gosh, I do not fit 
this standard of beauty over here and then all the media and just just noticing how much people really valued being thin was really hard for me as a girl in a bigger body but I still had a good relationship with exercising because I was still taking part in a lot of sports and my parents were the ones making all my food decisions so I was still eating balanced meals. I wasn't able to diet at that time. And then flash forward to high school, particularly the end of high school. At this point, I had completely stopped doing any movement for fun, for enjoyment, because I just felt like I was too fat to be welcome in the space of fitness. And I just really, really had a terrible self-esteem. And at that time, I really liked this guy. <laughs> and he told me that if we could date, I would have to lose 50 pounds. Mm. And yeah, as a person in high school, I was not that smart. And I took it as a sign of, yes, I should do this. He's so right. I do need to be thin if I want to be attractive. And so from then on, I went on an extreme weight loss journey. And for three months, I under and I overexercised, and it was really bad. I lost about 50 pounds in that process. And instead of people realizing that this girl is sick, she has disordered eating patterns, no one took it that way. It was all a matter of being congratulated and people telling me I looked awesome and asking me what I did to get there. And so that affirmed the way I was going at that point. And it actually inspired me, sadly, to go down the nutrition route because I was thinking, man, I lost this weight. I did it so healthily because at that time I was looking at horrible research and I thought that I was being healthy. And so I wanted to help people lose weight too. But the problem is that obviously living that way is so unsustainable. So eventually I crashed and burned. I wasn't able to work out six times a week at high intensity and I wasn't able to just sustain sustain myself on the calories that a toddler needs to function, basically. And then I started piling on all the weight back. It was so hard to go through that. And it was so humiliating because people all around me were asking me if I was like letting myself go, what's happening here. And then just being in the field of nutrition, where the typical body is like a thin white woman, I just kept getting further and further and further away from ever being acceptable in that space from what I knew. And so at that point, I felt like I was at rock bottom and I just needed help. I was tired of dieting and tired of hating my body so much. So I went to see a dietitian and I told her my struggles and I told her I needed to lose 50 pounds immediately. And she did not help me lose 50 pounds, but she did give me so much invaluable information. And that's how I was introduced to intuitive eating and health at every size and all of those amazing, amazing principles. And from then on, I educated myself and I have 
really just become so passionate about it because it changed my life so much. And it's been so different having a life of freedom and actually enjoying exercise and enjoying what I'm eating and being present in real life. So that's what inspired me to go down that route and completely abandoned a weight-centric approach to nutrition. Yeah, your story is so powerful. Did you date that guy? I need to know. Oh, <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. It's right. What a piece of trash. Oh, my gosh. I was I like, <laughs> that is so awful. So awful. But um, yeah, no, thanks for thanks, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I'm curious to know just from your story, like, what was the hardest part for you about about quitting dieting? Was was there something that was like particularly challenging for you? I think it was just my body image. It was really bad because I had originally thought that I was heavy to begin with. But then when I got the weight back, I ended up gaining a lot more weight and so just trying to adjust to a completely different body than I've ever had before while being in nutrition and having everyone watch me was just so hard. And I just could not get a good body image at that time. So mm -hmm. yeah, really challenging. I feel like you're so lucky that you found an, a dietitian that set you on the right path because had you gone to a different person, your story might be entirely different. Like you might still be trapped in that same cycle. Oh, yeah, for sure. Most definitely. Because even going back to doing Zumba and becoming a Zumba instructor never would have happened if it wasn't for that lady. So I'm so thankful forever. What were some of the specific things that helped you to accept your body in that process? I think the biggest thing was just surrounding myself with like-minded people and just really immersing myself into this space. Previously, I had always followed really fitspo Instagram models like weight loss pages and I would always just scroll mindlessly and feel bad about myself without even really realizing it and comparing my body. So just switching to a completely different feed where it's happy women encouraging each other and all going through the same journey was just awesome. And I had never even imagined that there was such a corner of the internet. So I think that is a really big thing that helped. And then there's another exercise that I did that has just always stuck out to me. And it was writing a letter to my body and writing a letter from my body. And that process just opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I realized my body was never the problem. It's always been there. It's always been protecting me. I'm the one that hasn't been consistent in the way I view it. So it really helps to just realized how much my body does for me, regardless of what it looks like. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you talk about your story, you talk about like having such a good, like a, a good relationship with your body when you were, when you were in South Africa, and then obviously coming to like immigrating to Canada, and it being like a, a different culture, like, I'm curious to know, like, do you feel like it was really like the, the, the route that you went down with dieting? Was that like, do you feel like that was heavily influenced by the Euro ethnic beauty standards and things like that? I would say, yes, it played a big role in it, just because 
I suddenly had this really big insecurity from the time I was young about how am I going to find love? Am I worthy of finding love? Because I don't look like any of these girls here. So I would say it was definitely a big part because even in love stories or movies and books and all those things, the main character who finds love is always a thin white woman. And I just knew that I was never going to be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Right. And like, I've never been to South Africa, so I don't know what like the pop culture is like there, but I imagine it's different. Like I imagine there, you know, cause there's just, you know, so much, and I'm talking about not so much now, although it is still very much a problem now, but just, you know, like through the 90s and things like that in the 2000s, like every TV show is like white dominant characters and things like that. So yeah, yeah, just not kind of seeing yourself anywhere. No, and just South Africa was just so different in the fact that people celebrated their bodies, especially bigger women, because it's more socially acceptable over there. People do see it as being more attractive just because historically, if you were really thin, it was a sign that you didn't have enough money to eat or that you might have a disease like AIDS or something. So at that point, being bigger was a sign of wealth almost. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, speaking of like speaking of race and the influence of of race on on, you know, like things like the BMI, one of the things that you mentioned a while ago, just on your Instagram was that the BMI is a racially based, uh, biased, sorry, not based, but I guess kind of based, but a biased metric of health. So can you can you speak to that? I'd love to know more. Yeah, for sure. The original person who made it Adolf. This Belgian mathematician, he wasn't even a doctor or anything like that, decided to use French and Scottish men as the basis of all of the measurements. And as we know, French and Scottish men are not the standard person to represent the entire world. And so just using those measurements and then extrapolating it to everyone regardless of gender or race, is just kind of wild because a lot of people are built completely differently. For example, Black people with the same weight and same height have been found to have less health risks at a higher weight than white people with the same exact weight and height. And the same with Asian people. It's been shown that the BMI actually underestimates health risks because they show a lot more health issues at a lower BMI than it is set to for white people. And so just keeping that in mind with all the different body compositions, it doesn't make sense for everyone of every race to be expected to fit into that small metric. And even besides race, BMI is just a very inaccurate measurement of health. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, like your experiences with the BMI at all? Like, do you, has that been something that like has come up for you with like doctor's visits or anything like that? Just out of curiosity? Oh yeah. When I was younger, maybe I was about 12 or 13. I went to the doctor just for a checkup. And then he told me that things were okay, but I was overweight and that was a problem 
because I was not going to be able to be healthy in the future is what he told me. So he said that I should start working on it as a child so that I would be healthy in the future. And that really stuck with me because I didn't even know what the BMI was before that experience. And even during my weight loss journey as an older teen, one of my metrics that I was always calculating was what my BMI was. And it's just crazy because even at my very lowest weight, I was still considered overweight. Even though when you look at pictures, it's like, no, this person is definitely not. And so it's just insane how so many of us have to depend on that and really believe in those numbers when we really shouldn't. Yeah, it's no barometer of of health whatsoever. Like, and and like, obviously, in your story, too, like, you were not healthy at that weight. And yeah, it's just it's so unfortunate. So do you do when you go see the doctor now, do you do blind weigh-ins? Or are you just like, I don't care? <laughs> I just refuse. Yeah, you just refuse. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, that's usually what I suggest to people, too. Yeah, it's scary. Of course, it's scary because it's not expected. But just being like, okay, I know my rights and I am not going to do it has really helped a lot. Yeah. Is there anything that you specifically say to the doctor like to to do that? I am asking because I know so many people listening are like, what do you say? Like, how do you prepare for that? I don't really have anything specific. It just depends on who the doctor is. But I'll just start by saying, like, kindly declining and saying, no, thank you. I don't need to know the weight. And I don't think that it will help in this treatment. That's basically what I say. I guess it helps that you're that you, you know, you studied nutrition and stuff, too. It might uh, not that they really know that about you, but it might give you a little bit more, like, a little bit more confidence going into the situation. I think that that's something that people struggle with advocating for their own, their body and their and their health and things like that. So I know it can be something hard to do because we've been taught to sort of just be obedient to whatever the doctor wants us to do. And the reality is that we don't have to do that. No, not at all. So I want to talk about just some more about like, you know, beauty ideals and that and rejecting those being anti-racist. So can you connect the dots there as to why rejecting beauty ideals is a way of being anti-racist? Sure. Well, I got most of my knowledge around this topic from Sabrina Strings' body, Fearing the Black Body, and it really lays it out in a chronological order, the history of how body image has been seen throughout the time. And just through reading that, I realized, oh my gosh, this whole entire thing has always been rooted in anti-Blackness. Because if we look back in the Renaissance era, era, being curvy was actually seen as a good thing. And at that time, Black women were actually featured in art, same as white women. But even at that time, they would have to be like wearing something that shows that they're lower class. So maybe they'll be like wearing a simple hat while helping the white lady, even though their bodies were seen as acceptable at that time. And then going forward, um, Sarah Bartman, she was this girl in South Africa that was called like the perfect specimen of black but with a questionable face, of course, we couldn't fully accept her. And she was sent to Britain to be put on display for everyone to see. And they just really disrespected her body. And then even forward, like there were so many European writings 
about their observations of African people during their visits to Africa. And that's when race science really kicked in because they would describe how African women were really plump and just very unattractive. And they called it like a savage way of being. And they basically connected it to black people being gluttonous and being lazy and stupid. And then being a person who has self-control and discipline and is pure was seen as being the complete opposite of that. So at that time, people really started feeling like the American standard of beauty was being thin and being white because that showed intelligence. And it just really is awful because even the churches were behind that and then medicine also came behind that. And so just always putting black bodies below other bodies has been a problem from the beginning. And then just making them a problem basically makes everyone look at being fat as being bad. Yeah, and the you know the the powerful thing you sort of started out with there is just um, you know you said like this whole thing has always been rooted in anti-blackness, and so like diet culture is what I assume you kind of meant there. But yeah, yeah, and and really some of the clients that I've worked with who've who've learned about that, and it's helped them to really see the bigger picture and and reject it, like to be like, well, this is another. <laughs> bigger, more important reason to reject it, like even more so than the damage that it's doing to my body. It's not just about beauty standards. It's about the fact that those beauty ideals are are racist and and that, you know, the billions of dollars that go into the dieting industry are really upholding white supremacy in a way. Exactly, exactly. And so reading that book, was that like, was that really eye opening for you? Like, was that like a kind of like a wow, this is this is like this really helps me connect the dots or was that stuff that you already sort of had an idea of? There was just so much details that I had no idea about. So it really shocked me for a big part of the book. And it was also just really hurtful to hear the way that black bodies have been described throughout all the years. And so just trying to manage those emotions while reading it was hard. But it was also just very educational. And I feel like the more I share what I learned from the book, people have been like, what? That's what it's based in? And like what you were saying, it's kind of helped people see the bigger picture and take a step back and be like, "Okay, you know what? Even if it's not for me, I don't think I should be supporting such a thing. Yeah, totally. Right. And, you know, hopefully it adds fuel to your fire to, you know, get your help you get your message out there to more people, the very least thing, right? So I want to shift gears and talk about like the process of of healing your relationship with food and healing your relationship with fitness, because those are two things that you obviously help a lot of people with and that you've done yourself. So like, how would you describe you, you kind of describe yourself as like, non diet nutritionist. And I'm curious, like, how do you describe non diet nutrition? Like, what's your what's your sort of definition of that? My definition of that is basically just stripping away any external cues and any rules of eating that we've ever heard and just putting that on the back burner and really trying to eat from a place of what feels good to you. Like, is this satisfying? Will this make me 
feel good mentally and physically and just really trying not to think about calories and dieting and any of those things is what non-diet nutrition is for me. It's saying like, you know, food is just food. It's not good or bad. I'm not a good or bad person for eating anything and just kind of being non-judgmental and having that self-compassion for yourself as you eat. And I mean, that's like a real 180 from, you know, food is good and bad and food is like going to make me gain weight or lose weight. So what are some of the, you know, first steps that you suggest for people who are who are just getting into the process of of, you know, breaking free of of the diet mentality and getting into non-diet nutrition? I really just emphasize not looking at nutrition as the only metric of being healthy and just looking at health for more of a holistic thing and just telling yourself that even if you eat cake all day, (laughs) you're still not going to be a bad person. And if you give yourself permission to eat cake all day, you're probably going to realize that it doesn't actually feel that good for you to do every single day. And just if you allow yourself to have those foods, with time, you start to realize that I can have this in portions that feel good for me whenever I want to. So just not putting anything off limits and just kind of going from there. Yeah, I think there's this like fear of, of okay, if I relax these rules, like all hell is going to break loose. I'll just eat cake every day, all day for the rest of my life or whatever that food is. And like, I mean, there's, of course, there's nothing wrong if that's what someone wants to do. And if that's what, you know, feels good for them, like, that's totally their prerogative. But you, you know, usually, that's, you know, that's not, that's not where people end up. No, like, very rarely. But of course, it's scary, because we've always thought that we are out of control, that our bodies are not on our side, and that we just have to control them. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I'm curious to know in... you know, when you're working with clients, or even in your own story, you know, you kind of you shift away from the diet mentality, you give yourself permission to eat the foods you want to eat. But how do you how do you kind of get to a place where you can maybe eat things for the purpose of have health or like, without it becoming kind of going back to the diet mentality? Like, is that something that you were able to to do yourself? Well, I think looking at the basics of nutrition, just the actual science without any of the diet culture messages can really help you understand that there is an importance of eating like fat and carbs and protein. And then looking at it from that perspective and seeing all the different kinds of foods that fit under those categories and looking at all the different kinds of nutrients available and just trying to mix and match and create your own meals based on the kinds of foods that you actually like having instead of looking at someone's diet plan is really helpful. And then just giving yourself permission to experiment and to have at least one thing that you just really want to have every single day without feeling guilty about it. Yeah, totally. And I think it's like, it's, you know, you mentioned protein, fat and carbs. And I I think it's like really important for people to know that all of those are essential and that like, (laughs) 
Because there's always a diet that's like low one of those. (laughs) And our body needs all of them. And like usually people feel so much better when they have all of them. And I think that's super important to kind of highlight there is that, you know, when you talk about health, it's like, you know, feeding yourself from all these different groups instead of, you know, just thinking that it needs to come from whatever, two of them, because usually it's like, usually diets are made up to just two of them. <laughs> it's so true. It always is. And I'm like, no, guys, please. Like, it's not a good idea to cut out a whole food group. Like, trust me, your body wants all of them. <laughs> your body loves carbs. Yeah. Trust- because I really feel like carbs have been so demonized. Oh, the worst, right? It was fat when I was younger. And then, mm. <laughs> um, you know, it took me forever to kind of heal that. And then it became, yeah. yeah, it was like, oh, I'll eat fat, but I won't eat carbs. And now it's like, oh, no, I God. eat all of it. I eat, put the fat <laughs> on the carbs and it's good. <laughs> the fat on the carbs right yes yes yeah do you notice that that it's like I don't know do people come to you like your clients come to you like just sort of struggling more with the carbohydrate thing like low-carb diets yes I think so and then but I think a big part is also just being confused as to what to follow because some people have the impression that keto is the best way to go and I'm like no 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 like this is actually the history of where keto comes from it had something to do with children with epilepsy it should not be applied to the whole entire population like that's a clinical diet that's used in special situations it's not a population thing that is like a way of being healthy so i think just explaining to people that it's okay if you can have all of the food groups you should have them yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that keto thing cuz uh oh, that one drives me up the wall. I just I I feel like that one damages people the most too, both mentally and physically when they come to me in terms of like rehabbing from the diet mentality. Um and yeah, it's super important to note that it, that where its origins come from and that it has like it serves a very specific clinical purpose, but outside of that it's like not supposed to be like a mainstream way of eating. And so what about fitness? Like you, you've talked about your love for Zumba on your, on your social media account. And I know, you know, you mentioned that you didn't always have a good relationship with, with fitness. Cause you, you know, you, you said earlier in this podcast that you felt like you were too fat to be welcome in, in fitness spaces and, and then you were over exercising. So how were you able to shift that relationship? I truly just owe it all to that dietitian because in our sessions, one of the things we talked about was movement. And she asked me to think of a form of exercise that I just love doing. And it doesn't matter what my size is at all. And I thought back and I'm like, you know what, I really love dancing. And I always have felt like, you know, either you love music and you love moving your body to it or you don't. It doesn't matter what your size is or any of those things at all. So I suggested that and she told me that maybe I could start doing that, try dance fitness, see if I still like it, like if I feel comfortable being in that space. And so I went and I did that and it just made me so happy. I'm lucky also that my Zumba instructor was actually haze informed 
And I really think I was lucky for that because some instructors are not like that. And so that class was never, ever about like maximum calories burnt or anything like that. It was just about enjoying yourself and moving your body. And that is what really inspired me to become an instructor myself. Oh, cool. That's awesome. That's, so are you teaching classes then? Yeah, I am. Well, since COVID started, no, I have not been doing it in oh, person. Right. But yeah, I'm that's true online. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so great. Oh, good for you. And so was that like pretty, you know, easy for you to detach weight loss from movement? Or did you feel like that took a while to kind of get to a point where you weren't like thinking about like, oh, you know, is my body going to change from doing that? It took a really, really long time. And I think especially at the very beginning of the journey, because I didn't fully understand intuitive eating and health at every size. I kept thinking in the back of my mind that I was going to lose some weight. But then I think after a while, I realized, you know what, I really don't think this is what it's about. Let me just focus on enjoying myself. And then from then, it's been totally different. Yeah, I think that's so critical to focus on, like having other like finding other intentions and connecting with how things actually make you feel and feel in your body instead of how it makes you look or, you know, what, how much you're burning, quote unquote. Like non-scale victories are so much more important. Like in that context, I was like, oh my gosh, I have more energy. I have like better cardio because I'm getting through this class and I'm less out of breath. And that's awesome because I know how I felt when I first started. So just thinking of like, this is making me stronger. This is making my mood better in the big picture really helped a lot. Awesome. Well, you're, you know, you're quite inspiring to everybody out there. I love following your, you know, your Instagram posts and things like that. And so where can people find more of you? best place to find me is on Instagram. And then I also sell my merchandise on the thicknutritionist.com. And just talk about your merchandise so people know what it is. I sell anti-diet merchandise and most of the quotes are kind of cheeky. For example, one says, mind your own plate. And that one was inspired by a conversation that I had with a coworker where she was judging what was on my plate. Actually, that happens a lot, not just with coworkers. And so my comeback to that is usually mind your own plate. So a lot of the merchandise is kind of based from conversations that I've had and just proclaiming like loudly diet culture sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Don't work. <laughs> so that's what it's about. Nice. Because, yeah, you have mugs and T-shirts. What else? Uh, just mugs, t-shirts, and hoodies. Oh, hoodies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I forgot. Um, awesome. Awesome. Oh, I can't believe people say that to you. Well, I can believe it. I, I shouldn't say that. But um, is that what is that what you retort back? Just mind your own play? Or do you have any other good comebacks for that? <laughs> well, it's usually to that effect. Like, I'm not looking at your plate. Why are you looking at mine? Or I'll be like, oh, I didn't know you're the food police. Or <laughs> just something along those lines because I really feel like enough is enough and people should not even feel comfortable commenting on other people's plates in such a way that I'm kind of tired and that's how I respond to it. Yeah, that's good. I wish I had you as a role model when I was young because I remember um, I used to work with this guy who used to be like, I, you're eating all that? 
you're going to eat all that. And, and like, it, I felt such shame about it. Cause I was, you know, really, really in a very insecure place. And yeah, I would like to go back and <laughs> have a better comeback instead of just feeling ashamed and like running out of the room. But yeah, that's awesome. And just carry around one of those mugs that says mind your own plate. <laughs> Just don't even look. Uh, well, it's been such a pleasure. And uh, your Instagram is um, the thick nutritionist, right? It is. Yeah, awesome. So people can find you there. And I'll link to all that in the show notes. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Tash. Thank you so much for having me again. Awesome conversation. Yeah, likewise. Rock on. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 179. Thank you so much for being here and listening today. I will talk to you soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanin. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on.